0: Welcome to Streams of Income with Ryan Rieger. Today we play Lego, and Daddy helps the other dice stay on wanna play Lego. It's my Daddy Ryan Rieger. Hey guys, welcome back to the Streams of Income Radio Show. I'm your host Ryan Rieger, and today we are talking to my pastor and friend david holland it was such an honor to have him on uh Malene and i have been friends with uh he and his wife tracy for several years malaine actually goes way back they she met them uh, a long time ago uh but they are precious people uh i wanted to have david on uh primarily i wanted to help him promote his books praying grace so i'm hand holding all four of them right here he's got praying grace christmas grace praying grace for women and praying grace for men they have been a blessing to me and i I want you to get your hands on them because they have just blessed malena and i tremendously it's a fresh just fresh revelation about who jesus is what he's done for us and uh, you need these devotionals they are different than any other devotional you've ever had i know you can walk into any bookstore and find a hundred of them probably all really good but these are from a perspective of you know how much God loves you, how good he is, how awesome he is, how faithful he is, and that, uh, you can, you can live a, a life full of peace and, uh, live a grace filled life. And so we talked a lot about, about a lot of stuff. David has an awesome background. He's a go- a ghostwriter. He's helped market uh, large ministries. So he knows a lot about uh, marketing and uh, writing. And so we talked about how to find your passion, how to find your purpose, how to know what you're called to do. We talked about how to, uh, how to publish a book and a lot of different things. You're going to love this episode. I sure did. Uh, go to, again, go to prayinggrace.com to grab either one or all of these awesome devotionals. And here is my interview with David. David, thank you so much for being on streams of income. What an honor.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. I uh, was delighted to be with you today.
0: Yeah, this is fun. i uh your first time guest, uh, but uh, let me just tell you publicly: you mean a lot to our family. Thank you so much for all that you and Tracy do for Cup and Table, and for the guys, those you guys that are listening. Uh, Cup and Table is a, a small home church that uh, David and Tracy Holland started. Was this you guys five years or so now?
1: Six years ago now. that Six last years, month, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think Melane and I were at the first few of sessions that you guys Mm -hmm. had, and then probably two years ago or so, jumped right in and just—it's such a special group of people that have uh, that assemble every Saturday. 4 p.m. and, and get to hear, you know, we can talk about that. I didn't even plan on that. But anything yeah, you yeah, want to yeah. share? I feel like a lot of people I talk to, David, are um, more and more this home church thing is is popping up. And I hear people say that I go to home church, too. And uh, I've had several conversations of people in my community about this. So anything you want to share about home churches and the trends you're seeing there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It is a trend everywhere I go. Um, We're not knocking any other way of doing church. We're not uh, interested in throwing rocks or telling anybody else they're doing it wrong. But we personally, and also a lot of people I've just encountered day to day, uh, have experienced the kind of big church environment. Mm -hmm. My bride and I had basically been in gigantic churches for most of our married life, all of our married life, (laughs) frankly. and For most of my adult life, I was in a gigantic church, even though I grew up in a small one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just discover that people are, and mm, the very level of their souls, hungry for community.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It used to be, uh, not too long ago, not too many decades ago, people had a number of things they did in their lives that fostered community. They might be a part of a civic club, like a Lions Club or the Women's whatever. Mm-hmm. They um, they knew their neighbors. Uh, they had other things that they did. And often most churches were small and uh, all of those provided a sense of uh, community. Now, nobody knows their neighbors. Uh, Nobody's a member of the bowling league or the Kiwanis club. (laughs) Uh, And there's, uh, there are almost no opportunities to create community, but if there, if there should be any community, it ought to be in church. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: So what house church basically allows Uh, and fosters is a real sense of community among a small group of people. So uh, I didn't quit my day job to start the cup and table company, what we call our house church. Uh, It's sort of my side side hustle. I've got side (laughs) hustles that we'll end up talking about. Uh, We'll talk about my day job. We'll talk about my side hustle. And now we're talking (laughs) about my side side, but the cup and table company that has been everything I'd hoped it would be. Mm. It is a community of people who uh, know each other. So uh, we're known and and we know others um, walking through the ups and downs of challenges of life, the victories and the defeats together, Mm -hmm. supporting one another. Uh, It requires a willingness to be known. Mm -hmm. uh, So it's not for everyone. Uh, it it, It demands that you not just be a consumer Mm -hmm. What a lot of people have experienced with the big church experience is that it tends to kind of turn them into consumers of -hmm. ministry content, Mm -hmm. where you hear a great inspiring talk and you hear some great music, uh, and uh, maybe you um, uh, provide a little offering and then you walk away and you're done. Mm -hmm. But at that point, you're purely a consumer, and what the house church experience demands really is uh, something that's a little more participatory, Mm -hmm something that requires a little bit more engagement. Mm-hmm. So again, it's not for everyone, but people who are hungry for community, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a, a tremendous thing. Yeah.
0: Where would you suggest that that, because I guarantee there's people listening like, I want that. How do they even find out if there are any home churches in their area?
1: There are, and I, I couldn't off the top of my head give you the, the address, but there are a couple of places online that have become essentially um, clearing houses for identifying house churches. Okay. So really look for house church network or house church directory. And there are several great directories online that will let you know if there's a house church in your area that meets and they'll allow you to, um, to find out
0: that and post the link in the show notes. Right. That's good. Thank you. Well, um, yeah, like I said, before we even hit record, I have no idea where this is going to go. And I didn't plan on talking about house churches, but I really feel like there's a lot of people are hungry for this type of thing. Um, for whatever reason, maybe even they've been burned out at church for who knows many potential reasons. Sure. And this might serve like really be a blessing to them. So I want to hear your story. I, I know some of it um, just by knowing you so long, but um, my audience doesn't. So take me back as far back as you want to in your journey of uh, all the things you've been doing over <laughs> all the sure. ministry stuff, the business stuff, ghost yeah. riding, anything that you want to share.
1: Well, you know, in college, I, I changed majors about 15 times, which when you do that, it takes about six or seven years to get out of college. But, uh, I was just curious about everything and wanted to know was, uh, just one of those curious minds that just couldn't figure out what I wanted to, to focus on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, ultimately in those upper division classes, I got a lot of feedback from professors that said, you know, you write well, which mm-hmm. planted a seed in my mind that, well, okay, yes. maybe I do have some, gift or capacity to learn the craft of writing Mm -hmm. and uh all my life i've been a reader Mm -hmm. and i've i've discovered uh later in life that i've never met a writer that wasn't a reader Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, i always had my nose in a book as a kid so right out of college i ended up just walking into an office of a newspaper cold and said i've got no qualifications no credentials but i'm looking for a job and ended up writing Uh, working at a newspaper doing a little bit of everything that led to working in radio, particularly Christian radio at the time. Uh, news, weather, traffic, writing commercials, mm-hmm. ultimately on more on-air stuff. But uh, I was writing uh, daily in my um, in my capacity on, on radio, and 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 a good piece of that was marketing writing. Mm-hmm. I needed to write radio ad copy. We were mm-hmm. a small radio station that we were dependent on the sales guys being able to bring in enough advertising revenue for us to to pay everyone's salaries mm-hmm. and stay on the air and so th- that was a high pressure direct response yes driven instant feedback environment for advertising right mm-hmm. because uh the the local car dealer or the local chiropractor would come in and uh, they would make an ad buy and if their phone didn't ring or if people didn't show up on their property, they didn't buy any more ads. Yes. And so uh, the pressure was on me to write ad copy that would actually Mm -hmm. make those phone rings ring and make people show up on the lot. You just learned that on your own? I did. I mean, I've always been kind of a self-taught mode kind Mm -hmm. of guy anyway, so I read everything I could get my hands on about about writing good radio ad copy and direct response advertising. So I went to school there, and then later ended up in... uh, writing a different kind of writing. It was in the ministry space, mm-hmm. uh, the faith-based space, mm-hmm. but doing uh, ghost writing and marketing writing for these some of these big television ministries, some of the biggest television ministries in the country that had enormous TV budgets, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, which is a hungry, hungry hippo to feed. Uh, and so, uh, a lot of... Uh, I ended up... Uh, doing a lot of marketing writing and direct response type writing in that space in multiple channels mm. early on in the de- in the early uh days back in the paleozoic era when i was first starting out <laughs> uh it was primarily print it was primarily letters and uh, direct response letters and magazine articles and ads
2: mm-hmm.
1: but soon the internet revolution began and uh, email became a piece of that the digital hold, the di- digital channel became a piece of it uh and then obviously in more recent years the social media piece uh, emerged as well but uh at the time I started learning the craft of of again writing marketing related writing and ghostwriting mm. which was basically writing letters books articles uh, letters and articles originally which ultimately evolved into books Mm-hmm. uh, in other people's voices. So it was in that period of time, right in the transition from radio to, to print that I met and married my wife. Uh, we started a family right away. Uh, and so I was trying to basically feed a family as a writer. Wow. Well, so when Tracy and I met, uh, I was doing radio, I was on air doing a lot mm-hmm. of on air stuff. And she asked me one time as a, as a fiance is likely to do, if you could be doing anything in the world, what would you do? You know, mm-hmm. what, what would be your dream? Great job?
0: question. I love that question.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, to be honest with you, if I, if I could just write my own ticket, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I would be um, writing uh-huh. things about that I'm uh, in th- in areas that I'm passionate about yeah. and speaking about them and letting the speaking support the writing and the writing support the speaking but Mm -hmm. uh i would love to just make a living as a writer and she'll tell you uh she smiled and nodded uh but uh, we'll confess today at the time she thought well how in the world can how in the world can anybody make a living doing that you know how in the world are we going to basically survive as a as a couple (laughs) if you were as a writer how did that even happen but uh, eventually we jumped out of the boat and uh i've started making a living as a writer. And I've, wow. over the years, have, uh, we've lived a pretty good, comfortable life uh, on the writing that I've done. A lot of that has been ghostwriting. At this point, I've written 38 published books uh, for other people, collaborated with them on their books. Uh, I have. Uh, there's usually a non-disclosure agreement or a confidentiality agreement associated with those, so I can't name names. Mm -hmm. But, uh, a lot of people that you may have heard of a couple of New York times, nonfiction bestsellers, Mm -hmm. uh, along the way. But then, uh, about gosh, it's been 22, 23 years ago. Now, um, I took all of that marketing writing related knowledge Mm -hmm. and moved to Dallas with my wife and kids Mm -hmm. and started an agency because you it guys were in
0: Minneapolis before that, correct? I've
1: been in Minneapolis. We right. were in Oklahoma City, then Minneapolis, and then to Minneapolis to Dallas. Okay. And uh, hung out a shingle, essentially, as an agency uh, with a, a friend whose uh, superpower was more of the uh, television media, media buying, and media production side. And my side was the writing and the content and the creative side. And we hung out a shingle and uh, successfully for 10 years – um, helped nonprofits, uh, particularly faith-based nonprofits and media ministries, do their marketing. Uh, basically, speak to their conti- constituencies, mm-hmm. uh, market what they needed to market, uh, raise funds for what they needed to raise funds for, mm-hmm. uh, through all channels. You know, by that time we were moving into that multi-channel, omni-channel mm-hmm. world of the internet, uh, where I was not only writing for print but also writing. Radio specials and radio spots, television ah. specials, television spots, uh, and uh, a, a lot of content for the digital channels. Yeah, as well. It's been a learning process all the way. After about ten years, we folded up shop, and I've rolled what I was doing into a larger agency here in Dallas. Mm-hmm. That is uh, has been, and I've been it's been, twelve years next month, uh, helping some of the largest media ministries in the country. Mm communicate in the ways that they need to communicate much of that being either marketing or direct response mm. related writing. But uh, a few years ago, I got the opportunity to write some of my own books. Uh, the, some doors opened up for me to um, kind of fulfill that dream that I'd mentioned to my wife when we were engaged, Yes, right? That uh, that there were some things that, that were in me that I wanted to get out on paper and see if they yeah. helped and encouraged other people. And so uh, a few years ago, that uh, journey began. Mm. About 20 years ago, I'd gotten the opportunity to write a co-author, a couple of books that were biographies Mm -hmm. for people, which were actually the first ever books I'd written that had my own name on the cover, which was a very exciting thing. Uh, But really, it's just been in the last few years that I've really stepped into that lifelong dream Mm -hmm. of being able to write what I'm passionate about, and uh help other people see some things that i've been seeing and uh, it's been a pretty exciting couple of years
0: cool do you feel like all the all the other all the stuff before that was just preparation or how do you look at that um because candidly you kind of know my story too and some of the things that we've talked about at cup and table and um you know even things that have been you know prophesied over me um and for some of you listening you might think it's weird but um uh it's in, but it's always been confirmation of things in my heart. And sure. I feel like, um, uh, yeah. So t- talk to me because uh, I, for, for me, a lot of, I feel like a lot of the things I've done over the last 20 some years have been preparation for this next step. Yes. Whatever that looks like. And, um, sure. in my life, but how do you view all those periods of time, all that period of time before, quote, you stepped into what you told Tracy was your dream?
1: Yeah. Well, wh- what I've seen every step ryan is that everything that has been that preceded it was preparation for the next thing mm. and i've seen that over and over again yeah. just yeah. that little bit of newspaper writing i did got me in the door in radio yes. and just that that what i did in radio got me in the door in writing in that faith space and and then so you know god doesn't waste anything yes and uh so every and now today i am using the accumulated knowledge experience, confidence, uh, relationships that, that preceded it. I, yeah. And every single step has been preparation for the next one, and I'm certainly experiencing that yeah. right now.
0: Yeah. Do you feel – it seems like also that and listening to a guy like – you probably – you may even know him, but Lance Wall now talking about – he talks about convergence and how you step into your real thing in your life, the thing that you were created for – And it seems like people who are at that stage are older, like in their, Mm -hmm. you know, late four, I'm in my late forties. And it's people that are in their late forties, fifties, sixties, before you actually step into the thing for your life. Is that, is that normal? Is that, or can you be 20 years old and doing the thing you were called to do?
1: I I think it's possible, but I, I, I think we're living in a, in a, era in which a lot of things were delayed later than they were in previous generations.
2: Yes. You know,
1: people are delaying marriage, they're Uh delaying childbearing. They're, I I think to a certain extent, I I think a lot of people don't even really know who they are Mm. until they're about 24. Right. You know, it's really kind of unfair that we force Uh kids to go to college at at 18 Uh uh, and it really, you're not, you're not, you're not, even really sure who you are until you're 23 or 24 years old right. and your brains, all the brain wiring is finally fusing and connecting and all the synapses are in, in place. And it was certainly the case for me. I was about 24 when I started to realize, okay, I think I know who I am. Yeah. And I think I know what I'm wired to do, mm-hmm. uh, where my joy is going to be, where my sense of purpose and destiny and all of that's going to be. Yeah. So I think that, whole thing has been sliding later and later, which may mean why we're seeing the phenomenon that you're describing, which I think is a, is valid. Uh, I think another piece of it, although you're still in the early child rearing, uh, phase, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but for a lot of us, there's sort of something about those child rearing years that require a whole lot of attention, yeah. a whole lot of energy, mm-hmm. uh, mind space, a lot of money, uh, and so there's something about kind of getting toward the back end of that season mm-hmm. that get that frees up. First of all, you've been accumulating experience, you've been accumulating yeah. knowledge and confidence, uh, and at the same time, you get you gain mind space mm-hmm. uh, and maybe even a little financial margin. Uh, although kids in college is an interesting. <laughs> Uh, phenomenal right. I, I did three in college at the same time um oh my gosh and then did three weddings within five years as well because we had uh, three daughters and
0: i know it was books that got carried you through that right Ghostwriting, Absolutely. Uh, it projects. My,
1: it was my side hustles yeah uh that yeah. made things like the college and the weddings possible yeah uh which is very much a part of my story yeah uh, and, uh, thank god for those The the extra streams of income, right? Yes, but um, there there is something about that that I think gives you a little bit more margin to really be able to step in. And if God is, you believe that God is guiding the your steps and guiding the pathways of your life and leading you into paths, it might make sense that uh, that uh, this happens a little bit later in life. It'd be great if at twenty two, and some people, some people. That's their story, right? Sure. You know, they know by eighteen what they're going to do, and by twenty-two, they're in the, the in the lane they're going to run in, and they're running hard. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I think that's great when that happens, but that's not sure. the that's not the norm.
0: Yeah, it's not been my story. Um, I still get I get emails from people that are older than me, and they tell me they still don't know what they're called to do, what their purpose is. Do you have any insight on that? What you would tell somebody if you were sitting in front of them doing a con- <laughs> pastoral consultation? Yeah. And somebody tells you, let's say they're 55 years old and like, you know, David, I, I really do not even know what I'm supposed to be doing here. Like I, yeah. I'm at a job that I hate. Um, I know there's more for me, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what I'm wired to do. Um, what would you yeah. tell that person?
1: Well, I mean, <clears throat> this question is a little bit of a cliche, but it's it became a cliche because it's a really, really valid, powerful question. And the question is, what would you do if money were no object?
2: Mm, yeah. You know,
1: if, if you, uh, you know won the lottery tomorrow and you didn't have to work anymore what would you spend your days doing yes that's a clarifying question yes it is uh because it helps you understand you know where your passions are um uh, mm. there uh, i I don't know if um uh, if you're familiar with the uh there's a uh, there's a japanese concept of ikigai yes uh-huh. uh huh And you know it it can be demonstrated by a a Venn diagram that's got four spheres that overlap. But it's Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and I'll probably I won't remember them accurately. But it's you know what uh, what you're good at, Mm -hmm. uh, what the world needs, Mm -hmm. what what you can get paid for, and there's there's a fourth sphere. I can't uh, remember where it is, but it's a pretty clarifying. Model to just look, and w- when you find where those four spheres overlap, mm-hmm. and th- the tricky one is what you what you people will pay you for. Correct. You know, there, there's a lots of things about you know what you're passionate about, what you're good at, what the world needs. Right. Where those three things interle- inter intersect is um, one thing. Mm-hmm. What people will pay you for is the big yeah. piece of the of the puzzle. There, right? Yeah. And what I discovered early on is that where all of those things intersected for me in that middle season of my life mm. was, uh, ghostwriting. Yeah. The, the world needed it. Mm. I was good at it. I got joy out of it and people would pay me for it. Yeah. And so, uh, I, I've lived as particularly as my, uh, both were my day job and my side hustles over the last, uh, 25 or 28 years, uh, in that center of those Four spheres, Uh, but now uh, what I'm trying to build is to see if people will pay me for writing what I want to write. Yeah, because I know I'm good at it. I know I'm there's value in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know the world needs it. The question is, and this goes to in part how effective I am at marketing myself. Yeah, as a client, having myself as a client,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, will people pay me for it?
2: Mm.
1: And that's, you know, that's the thing. Often, you know, there's the old joke about the cobbler's kids having the worst shoes in town. Uh, you know, I've I've worked marketing wonders by the grace of God for lots of other clients over the last 30 years and helped their grow their enterprises. Uh mm-hmm. but now, for a certain slice of my time every day, mm-hmm. I've got myself as a client. Yeah. So, uh we'll see. We'll wow. see how uh, how good I serve that client.
0: Well, you know, I'm always happy to help you out. I I don't I have a huge audience, but being on this podcast helps. Finding other people like me who have a podcast to have your audience in their audience is a. And, but you also got a lot of connections too. So um, wow. depending on which ones you're able to leverage, um, that'll definitely help a
1: lot. I need I need your help, Ryan. Please, <laughs> happy help to help do it anytime. I love, uh,
0: I love helping people grow their, their ministry and their business. Um, wow. Okay. So ghostwriting, like how, um, man, there's so much, there's so many places we could go, but most people listening probably aren't going to get into ghostwriting, but, um, Talk about the 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 marketing side of like books, and we you mentioned early before we jumped on here, like you know written versus ebooks books versus, versus audio books, things you're seeing yeah. there. Any tips on marketing a book? Because I do have a lot of people in my audience that have written books or that want to write a book, and yeah. they're probably most of them are probably going to go the self published route, like using Amazon uh, and getting up there. But once it's there, it doesn't mean anybody's going to ever find it.
1: Yeah, well, for a, yeah, for a lot of businesses, for a lot of entrepreneurs, having some book or booklet uh, type material is, can be really helpful. Uh, It can become a, uh, a premium that you offer in exchange for an email address. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
1: The great thing about a physical book is that uh, when you offer a physical book, you capture both an email address and a physical address. Yeah. And uh, which is a more robust way to do marketing to have both rather than just an email address. Yeah. Uh, but uh, increasingly, I'm seeing entrepreneurs that have that, that ha- have a need for having some written resources that they can provide, mm-hmm. even if they're only digital written resources. Yeah, uh, that might be a downloadable PDF mm-hmm. uh, or something like that. Um, there are some j- let's just talk mega meta trends for just a moment. Sure. Uh, f- from just at a 30,000 foot standpoint. Um, the whole book world is changing. The whole publishing financial model is changing. Of course, the internet has uh, upended everything, and and then social media has upended it again. Uh, but fewer and fewer people want to read. That's mm-hmm. one trend, and pe- people's attention span for written material is getting shorter and shorter. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, people read books, mm-hmm. and then uh, the ten thousand different magazines came out, so people would read magazine articles, but not books. And then they would read blog posts uh, and then social media. shorter and
0: shorter and shorter, right?
1: (laughs) And so now, you know, it's hard to get some people to read anything longer than a 240-character Twitter post, right? Right.
2: Right.
1: (laughs) But what we're finding is that uh, people will read if it's shorter and broken up into more bite-sized chunks. Yeah. So like all the books I'm writing now tend to be shorter in word count and have more chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, which creates a little bit more bite, sizey, nuggety mm-hmm. way of uh, for the reading experience. But mm-hmm. there's a significant number of people that just aren't going to read. They just per- prefer strongly media content. Yeah. They they want video or audio. Mm-hmm. So the there's it's no accident that the audio book space is growing by about twenty or twenty five percent a year. Uh, so right now, everything I'm writing, I'm trying to also get it, uh, available as a, as an audio Mm -hmm. book. Mm -hmm. There was a period of time, probably about five, six years ago, everybody thought that eBooks was just going to kill the physical book market and it didn't happen. It briefly knocked a dent in, uh, the demand for physical books, but then it sprung back to, uh, the fact that eBooks, you know, some people do prefer eBooks, but, a lot of people who still read still want a physical book yeah. in, in their hands. yeah. Um, but uh, the audiobook space is actually gr- absolutely growing rapidly. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why if you go on a website like, for example, the guys at ESPN, a Disney-owned property, they're pretty savvy. You go to ESPN, and every article you click on has a video at the top you can play or the written form of the article mm-hmm. below. Yeah. and there's a reason for that it's because uh, you know some significant portion of the world is never going to click play they want to read yeah I'm in I'm in that shrinking segment hmm. and there's a, a significant and growing segment of the world that's never going to read the article they'll always push play yeah always you can reach
0: both with the same content
1: exactly right. and you, and if you're only providing one form or the other, mm-hmm. you're leaving out a significant chunk of your potential Content consumer, right? So uh, that that's a trend that we're seeing. It used to be that the publishers, the big publishing houses just owned the the marketplace for publishing. So if you were a writer, you had to hope that you could maybe get an agent and submit a manuscript and get them yes. to pick up your book. Uh, and that was really the only pathway to publishing. Well, now yeah. that's been completely democratized, yeah. uh, so that there are so many different pathways to publishing now and the scenarios in which it actually makes sense to go that traditional publishing route, mm-hmm. it's just shrinking by the day. Yeah. Uh, there are, there are some scenarios in which that still makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the, really the only reason it makes sense to go that traditional publishing route today is for prestige. Mm. There's a certain amount of still it's legacy. It's residual prestige Mm -hmm. and seeming in the eyes of some people, credibility and credentialing that happens if you've been published by a major publisher, Mm. uh, rather than self-published, there's still a little bit of a residual stigma associated with self-publishing. Mm -hmm. but that's not an economic reason that's or it's the economics of it is secondary or tertiary, Mm
2: -hmm. uh,
1: for purely economic standpoint, self-publishing or some sort of hybrid approach is absolutely the way to go.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and the pathways to self-publishing. And if, if you're, if you're, uh, endeavoring to learn how to market yourself online, Mm -hmm. uh, it's absolutely the way to go. Yeah. Uh, and so right now I'm, I've got a foot in several worlds. I've got, uh, some things I'm self publishing, uh, three of my books out right now for reasons that, uh, too complicated to go into right now. Went the traditional publishing route. Mm-hmm. I've got one hybrid uh book out, and I'm I have a number of uh, self published books in the pipeline.
0: Which ones are Praying Grace? Is that self published, or does somebody else do that?
1: Praying Grace, Praying Grace for Men, and Praying Grace for Women. All three are published through a traditional publisher. Oh, I see Broad that. Street. Okay, Broad Street. Yep. Uh, Christmas Grace is a hybrid uh, approach where I own the I own the intellectual property. I own the um, uh, basically, the book, but I've b- inserted it into a um, a uh, publisher's distribution network that gets it on Amazon. It gets it uh, on the various other other channels, and they take a piece of the of the retail sales price. Sure. But it's still a much much more lucrative approach yeah. than the pitiful royalty you'll get through a traditional publisher. So uh, essentially,
0: uh, praying like we compared praying grace for men versus Christmas grace, holding both of them, you're mm-hmm. going to make more money on Christmas grace, then.
1: No question, because it's yours. No okay. question about. It. Yeah, and Got that's it. it's because the high the 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 distribution partner on that is taking a much smaller piece.
2: Yeah. You know, the, the
1: what the, the traditional publishers will say was all you have to do is give us your manuscript. Mm-hmm. We're going to spend all the money. We're we're going to be out of pocket on the on the design we're going to be out of pocket on the layout. We're going to be yeah. out of pocket on the printing. We're going to have to warehouse the things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Then we're going to put it into our distribution network, mm-hmm. but you're only going to get out of a retail book. That's $20 online. You're going to get a buck 50, a buck 75 per copy or uh-huh. something like that
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, as, as a royalty on that, but you're out of pocket. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, but, uh with a hybrid approach, um, uh, the author uh, is often out of pocket for the printing and the de- and the uh, the layout and the design uh, aspects of it. Mm-hmm. The good news is that in the age of digital printing, it used to you had to print five or ten thousand units of something for, to get the cost remotely down to where they were reasonable mm-hmm. per mm-hmm. unit. But now, in the age of digital printing, you can print five hundred or a thousand mm-hmm. and not have a garage full of bookcases, yes. right? Uh, and not be out of pocket tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. But, uh, even Amazon will do print on demand right now. If you want to, they'll Mm -hmm. just print one or two copies at a time. Right. The margins, the author margins on those are obviously much skinnier. Uh, but yeah. So the, the, the risk reward on it is you're, you're out of pocket to get the book designed and printed, Mm -hmm. but once it goes into somebody else's distribution channel, the bite they're taking out of that margin is mm-hmm. much smaller. So yes. what comes back to you, the author, is significantly larger. Yeah. And then the full the the you know the full self published approach is you're out of pocket for all the costs. Mm-hmm. You've got boxes of um, of books in your garage or your uh, right. you know spare bedroom. Uh, but you're marketing yourself online. You're either got a fulfillment partner or you're fulfilling them yourself, but you're taking a hundred percent of the, of the net on it. Yeah. Uh, so, um, it's, it's all a function then at that point of how skilled are you at getting on people's radar and creating demand for your book?
0: exactly yeah my book has always been my lead magnet i've never been at a point where my book is like ooh i made a ton of money on that yeah um i mean i'm sure you're you're in a different position um but i mine for me like what you mentioned is a lead magnet into yeah. my
1: world yeah. and i think funnel. every yeah almost everyone should have one of those yeah. should ha- should have a book or booklet yeah, That becomes the lead magnet that puts people into your funnel so that they can begin the relationship process.
0: Do you still feel like uh, saying I'm a published author is like 20 years ago? Wow, that's amazing. 40 years ago. Oh, amazing. You have a book. That's incredible. Nowadays, if I tell somebody I have a book, is that still as impressive? I mean, it's probably less impressive than it was 40 years ago. Yeah. feel like we're still in the age where it's impressive to say you're a published author?
1: It still carries some weight. Uh-huh. Yes, uh, it does and not, not as you, as you suggest, not as much as it used to, mm-hmm. but there's still some weight associated with that. Even just having gotten a book written yeah, for most people, I, I never, anyone who finds out that I write books for a living or that I'm an author says, yeah. well, I think I've got a book in me and I, I've never met anyone who didn't think they had a book in them, yeah. but for most people, Uh, the process of getting a book written feels like a, a magical mystical miraculous thing. Yeah. And uh, that just is impossibly hard to do. And uh, of course, anything that you haven't done seems impossibly hard. Uh, (laughs) Of course, I've put in the 10,000 requisite hours for mastery uh, of that kind of thing. But what I discovered after writing, uh, letters marketing letters uh for organizations that if i just put together th- the equivalent of three or four marketing letters i had a chapter yes and then if i put together 10 or 12 or 14 chapters i had a book mm-hmm. it's just you know putting one foot in front of the other until Absolutely. you've got uh, enough words on the on, on the page
2: yeah
1: but uh yeah I, it still it still carries some weight and i think there's a significant number of people who still find value
0: yeah, yeah. Rand- random question. You obviously read a lot, so um, I enjoy reading a physical book as well versus an ebook. Um, I have ebooks and I've read them, but I much prefer something I can highlight, mark up. Do you have any tips for going like grab the information's here? But if I haven't read this book in six months. I may forget everything that's in it. Do you have any tips for gleaning information from a nonfiction book that you're trying to read it to gain a skill, learn something to uh, so that you can reference it quickly?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I uh, and first of all, to your to your first observation about ebooks versus versus um, physical books, I here's how I've landed on, on that. If it's a book, I think I'm going to want to keep and reference reread or reference again. I always get a physical book. Yeah. If it's some book that I just know I'm going to, if I'm going to read it, I'm going to get whatever the point is in it and I'm never going to reference it again. I'll save a little money and get the ebook. Yeah. And I've still got it. makes sense. You know, but, uh, I've got behind me shelves and shelves of books, uh, and they're all around me here. If you can see, Uh, of books I've accumulated, and I go back to them Mm -hmm. uh, uh, time and again. But what I wish I'd done, what I wish I'd known 20 years ago, 30 years ago when I started accumulating this library, is that I always now read with a pen in my hand. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: what I begin to do is on one of the blank, there's usually some blank pages at the front or the back of the book, Mm -hmm. uh, I not only underline and highlight, I start creating what my own index in the front or the back of the book. Nice. So that when I find a nugget uh, of something that I just think, okay, that's something I'm going to want to remember, want to come back to, this is a real great takeaway from that book. Yeah. I'll go to that page and then Uh basically put a bullet point right there and then say page 42 and a just quick summary of that That takeaway. Awesome. And so now the books I've been reading, especially the helpful nonfiction, self-help, how to, Mm. Uh, inspirational kind of books uh, I'm now reading with a pen in hand. And yeah. you, then I can just go back to my index on that, especially if I want to cite that in something okay. I'm writing. Yeah. I thought, okay, this, you know, that author, there was this great story anecdote he told that illustrated <laughs> this point where, and I, instead of having to thumb through the entire thing, trying to find it, I could just go right to the end. My oh, own that's index. Brilliant. And I, yeah.
0: That's brilliant. Wow. That could be a little mini course or something right there teaching. My friend Dan Miller has a course out about how to take good notes. Mm -hmm. um, And he's mastered, he's got a system for being able to remember information that he's read in books because he's a, a voracious reader as well.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Cool. Well, let's talk about awesome. Christmas grace, praying grace, praying grace for men and praying grace for women. I, I want to promote these. I want people that are listening to grab these. Um, anything you want to share about these books? And why? I guess maybe, okay, everybody's got to de- Well, not everybody. There's lots of devotionals out there. Sure. Why are these different? I can, yeah. I can tell you why um, they yeah. mean so much to me and why they're refreshing. But in yeah. your words, why would you say what sets these apart versus all the other devotionals you can go into a Christian bookstore and, and grab off the shelf?
1: Yeah, uh, that is a wonderful question, Ryan. And and this, these books come out of the things that I am most passionate about. When I initially wrote Praying Grace, and it got legs, and uh, God seemed to breathe on it, and some uh, amazing things happened with it. Uh, I told people that in this book are the things that I. I want the people I love the most to know the best mm. uh, yeah. that people, people like my wife and my children yes. and my yes. uh, grandchildren that are now growing up. Um, I asked myself, what, what is it that because I love them dearly and I want them to live a life mm-hmm. that's full of peace and purpose yes. and uh, and fulfillment and uh victory and overcoming obstacles and overcoming hardships what is it that i if i love you the most what do i want you to know the very best yes and that's what emerged out of praying grace uh it's um a book that basically stands on three legs a lot of people have misconceptions about who god is and what he's like Mm -hmm. they have misconceptions about um what Jesus accomplished when he came and did all that he did and and they have uh they have misconceptions about what that means to them and in them mm. because there are implications for all three yes you know we we all operate logically and reasonably based on what we assume to be true mm-hmm. but if what we assume to be true is flawed in some way we end up in places that don't work well, yes, but we in there we we come by that honestly mm-hmm. because we're operating from some flawed understandings, some mm-hmm. flawed premises mm-hmm. So what praying Grace is designed to do is is to use the biblical term renew your mind mm-hmm. uh, help change your thinking and uh, focus your thinking correctly mm-hmm. uh, on the the nature of God that he's good, he's mm-hmm. kind, uh, he wants the best for you. Uh, he's not, he's not uh, uh, capricious, he's not unkind, he's not mean, uh, those kinds of things. Plus, the, what Jesus accomplished is better than what we have been told or what we could po- even possibly imagine. Mm. You know, the gospel is called good news. Yes. And frankly, I, I, I like to say, if you're sharing the, the gospel with someone and their first response isn't, well, that sounds too good to be true, well, then you're telling it wrong. Mm-hmm. Because the first response should be, "That sounds too good to be true." Yeah, and then there are some implications downstream for what Jesus accomplished, that changes who we are, mm-hmm. that changes, uh, it it changes where where we stand, mm-hmm. and not too many people are operating in lives of shame, yeah. in lives of condemnation, lives of uh, feeling disqualified mm-hmm. from living. God's highest and best. And if you feel disqualified, you're essentially self disqualifying. And yes. so what, what praying grace was is designed to do is to change your thinking so that you stop disqualifying yourself
2: mm-hmm.
1: for everything that Jesus qualified you for. Right. So, uh, that book, God really breathed on it and eventually, uh, uh, TBN, the major Christian television network picked it up and wanted to offer it to all of their, uh, viewers, uh, and all of their donors. Uh, it became, a, they basically created a 30 minute, essentially, uh, what's amounts to an infomercial, yeah. uh, for it that they still run. Uh, the TBN network still runs that 30 minute from time to time because it still moves the needle. Wow. So ob- it, clearly the themes in it, that 30 minute time frame gives me an opportunity to uh, really unpack the the benefits of the book.
0: You have that. Is that anywhere that somebody I can send a, a link to for somebody to watch that?
1: There is. There is. If and we, you, we search it on YouTube
0: or something or go to TBN.com.
1: It may be available on YouTube, but at TBN.com, they have an on-demand television um platform it's free they'll require that you give up an email address Mm -hmm. like any good marketer would sure uh but you give up an email address and you can access their on-demand platform and i will send you the link so that you can provide that okay Uh, and uh, it is a basically a it's me being my own client with tbn Mm -hmm. uh trying to help you understand why this book will help you yeah but so since, but because of that, and here, here's, here's an interesting phenomenon. And I'm, I'm now always with my books. I'm looking for a media partner who wants to basically offer my, one of my books to their viewing audience, even if they're keeping almost all of the, all the margin,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like all the books that TBN sells, I get a, probably a quarter a book, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not, it's not significant. Mm -hmm. but what we've learned over the years is that when some somebody on television offers a resource, but you have to get it through them Mm -hmm. uh, a certain number of people will say, okay, I don't want it from you, but you've just made me want it. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to jump over to Amazon and get it or some other online platform. Mm -hmm. So for every one person who decides, okay, TBN, I want that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they get it, they give up some money, I get a quarter. Mm-hmm. There are probably two who will jump over to Amazon and get it, and I get the I get the larger margin yeah. uh, for it. So uh, I, I'm making bulk sales to these large distributors, but mm-hmm. because they've got a big media platform and they're giving visibility to the book, it lifts what I'm doing over on Amazon or on my website. That's awesome. So that it's a win.
2: It's, yeah, it's, for sure. it's definitely
1: a win. Even though the direct sales, the margins are really, really skinny. Yeah. So through those kinds of uh, ways, now over the last three years, there are more than two hundred thousand copies of wow. uh, "Praying Grace" out there circulating. Uh, to to put that into perspective, in the Christian book marketplace, there's a there's a, an association called the Christian Booksellers Association,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, where all the major publishers. Uh, gather the typical faith-based title published last year sold 2200 copies wow uh, of of the book so there's a lot of publishers out there throwing a lot of mud against the wall mm-hmm. in hopes that something will stick mm-hmm. and become the next runaway bestseller the next the shack or purpose-driven life mm-hmm. or prayer of Jabez or whatever they're just they don't know what's going to be the next big thing. So they just throw them as much mud against the wall as they possibly can.
2: Hmm. Uh,
1: but while they're doing that, they're creating all these published titles that sell two or 3000 copies. Wow. It's so uh, the fact that praying grace now has 200,000 copies in print and growing by the month is, uh, is gratifying yes, to say man. the least. Man. So. It, In the wake of that success, Broad Street Publishing requested uh, two follow-ups to that, one specially for men and one specially for women. And so I created those last year. The women's book came out in April. The men's Mm -hmm. book came out in October. And uh, so those are out there now Mm -hmm. uh, doing their thing. And uh, I feel really good about them. They take the similar kinds of uh, help. And mm-hmm. encouragement that the first one provides, but specifically focus it on the unique um, masculine and feminine challenges that uh, we mm-hmm. face in the world. Yep. Yeah, uh, and it's and it, the messaging is specifically tuned to to both men and women.
0: Well, but where do you want people to go to? Because I want them to buy these books. Where where's the best place for them to well, go?
1: Thank you. The, the, there's sort of a, a a portal to all of it at PrayingGrace.com dot com. Got it. Uh, there, that's basically just a little sales funnel uh, or portal that will link you to um, all four of the books and take you where you need to go to be able to to get them. Thank you for that. Of course.
0: My pleasure. They've been a blessing to Melane and I, and so I just uh, wanted to uh, – the world needs to hear it. I mean, 200 and th- some thousand people are hearing it, but we need more people because it is refreshing, David. I know you know all the other messages that are out there, and a lot of them me- it's easy to – take what God has done for us and turn it into law. Like I've got to do this and I got to do this. I got to keep this commandment. I got to make sure I'm doing this right. And yeah, you want to live a, uh, you want to live a a holy life, but I feel like God gives you that grace to do it. And you talk about right here, how to live that life almost effortlessly because you're relying on him uh, to, uh, to work in and through you to make it possible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If you feel like you have to qualify in your own efforts in your own strength, you'll never get over that bar.
0: No,
1: never. Your your own inner critic and the enemy of your soul will never let you get over that bar.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's, it's impossible anyway. Yes. But w- once you move over into understanding that Jesus is your qualification and that all you have to do is be in him mm-hmm. and you're flowing in his strength, you're flowing in his enablement and you basically accessed his qualification Yes, uh, it's basically like, you know, we have a we have a key card uh, entry system that uh, we're, we're in my day job. Uh, and so you can't get in the door unless you've got the key card. Well, basically, mm-hmm. this is like Jesus giving you his key card It gets you in. Yes, uh, because you're getting in on his credentials. You're getting in on his Good. qualification. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, the, I, I also uh, write and blog. I've got probably 18 years worth of writing about life, mm-hmm. faith. Family, culture, current events uh, over at my blog at davidaholland.com, it. uh, and uh, it's a place where you can you can find uh, more of my short form writing. At some point in the future, hopefully with your help, I'm going to convert davidaholland.com into a more Uh, sales and e-commerce friendly platform that will uh, allow me to market some e-courses that will take people uh, in the e-course format through the very kinds of things that you learn through the books. Yes. Got more books in the pipeline. And uh, so uh, looking forward to that.
0: Love it. Well, thank you so much for being on with me. This is a pleasure. Anytime you ever want to jump back on, if you ever have a message you want to share to the audience, you just say, hey, I want to be on and let me know and we'll We'll do it again.
1: I'll take you up on that. Thanks so much, Ryan.
0: Thank you so much. Bye-bye, everyone. See you next week.